how I think we solve some of some of our racial construct issues is to be more honest about the uncomfortable truth about uh, racism in this uh, in this country where it is right now and how we got here. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, we are honored to have senior pastor of Crossroads, my church, uh, Brian Tome on the show. He's a man of many talents. And what I like about him most is that he's uh, using uh, the word of God in, in a method, in a medium that actually reaches people. He's not just relying on old methods to reach folks. Uh, and he has a lot of great content out there. Uh, he has a great podcast too. Uh, called the aggressive life. I love the title, by the way, and um, and Crossroads I think has been really uh, similar to what disruption is about. Disruption is about disrupting common narratives and constructs, and I believe Crossroads Church is one of the fastest, largest growing uh, churches. He probably doesn't like to be called a mega church. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's one of the fastest growing churches in the country, and um, they they meet people where they, where they are at on their spiritual journey. And uh, it's just an honor to have him on the show. Brian, thank you for coming on. Rob, it is a total honor to be with you today. And uh, I, I think we're going to have fun. I just, in advance, I ask forgiveness for the stupid things I say, because as you know, I am an equal opportunity offender, but I think I'm most... <laughs> That's I, good. I want I, you to be. Well, I think I'm most interested in you and I just being, just being honest and having people just hear an honest race conversation. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. There is a uh, major pandemic in this country, Brian, um, and it's been hard for some people to accept and understand because they can't see it. Uh, so they don't believe it's real. Uh, it's been something that if you haven't gotten sick by it, if you haven't been infected, if you haven't been affected by it, if it's not something that directly uh, affects your family, people are able to, uh, to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about racism. And so we're able to, people are able to live in this world where uh, it's not real. And, and there, there's, a, there's a belief by people, and I understand the human reason why they have this belief uh, that racism is something that is exaggerated, uh, that doesn't exist, or that you know just those people of color or black people are making up. Uh, I think that's generally kind of the symptom um, that's generally kind of the diagnosis, I, I should say, of the situation of where we are in America. And what I believe, uh, I'm going to break it down in both like a spiritual and a scientific point of view. Uh, I believe we have to be spiritually and scientifically self-aware as believers. Uh, I think that's part of our job. And uh, to me, I think there are, there are two verses that really stick out in my mind. Uh, the first I'm going to talk about is, I think was most relevant, is uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. 10, and, and it says roughly this, We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's a whole lot in there that I believe applies to this. I think the first step to solving any real problem is understanding the problem and having self-awareness of the problem. So self-awareness is something uh, people talk about a lot. So that's the stronghold you're talking about, demolishing that stronghold. That's the stronghold that I think people have um, uh, that they don't understand because racism, as I, I described it in the way of kind of how the language of COVID-19, because it's very similar in that 
people have been able to social distance themselves from racism within their circles. Um, and then when incidents like this happen, there's usually like, oh, well, this is just that one rare incident. Um, and this is unusual and it's not that bad. Or what did that person do uh, to deserve what happened to them? Because that's, you know, if there's a lack of self-awareness, right. there's not an understanding that, okay, it's easy to take a shortcut in your mind about what you already believe. So the fundamental, yeah. let me say, but fun, I'll let you go. Uh, the fundamental uh, 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 question and I guess challenge I'm going to put out there, it's going to be very controversial, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I believe everybody's racist. And I have a reason for saying that. And I will dive more into that. But I want to hear your point of view because I've been talking a lot. And I'm going to go more into that because that's a loaded statement. Uh, I, I think you're... I think you bring up something really good that especially I think white people need to understand that we do. Whenever there is a shooting of an African-American, whenever somebody gets roughed up by an authority figure than an African-American, there is always a search to find out what that person did wrong. There's always, a, oh, whew, okay. That person got fired by their from their last job. Okay, okay. Well, then they, then they deserved it. Then I mean, it's like it's like we're looking for justification for why that happened instead of asking ourselves, can I ever remember a black authority figure beating up a white person under questionable circumstances? Can I ever remember a white person ever saying that because of my race, my life is harder? Uh, I'd say no, we don't have any of those stories, yet we see that regularly in the non-white community and anybody I know, anybody I know who isn't white has stories to tell about how their skin tone hurt them. Rob, why don't you give us a couple of yours? I don't even know what they are, but I sure you got them. You yeah, I do. I, I have too many of them, uh, but I wanna, I'm gonna uh, follow on your point Every single, particularly every single black man you know, from the nicest one that smiles to the CEO to the construction worker, all of them have had a bad experience at some point with law enforcement. It's nearly universal. All right. So um, and everyone, I think, has what James Baldwin said. He said, like, to be conscious and to be black in America is to be constantly enraged. All of them have some rage in them. They do, because it's been it's, it's difficult dealing with this day to day. And, and and people not acknowledging that this is true. Like we are, we are not making this up. Uh, my first experience with police was in the sixth sixth grade. Uh, I went to a place if uh, people know this well called uh, Brentwood Bowl, and um, I used to play video games. That's how you know I'm getting a little bit old because I used to go go somewhere and play video games in the <laughs> yeah, arcade. Right. <laughs> right. Space invaders, asteroids. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, I went there, and. Um, uh, the, the manager didn't like me for probably because of the color of my skin, but you know, I never let it bother me. And, and he, he, he kicked me out and I don't remember the reason. It was some made up reason. I, I think I said some smart uh, remark. I did. Actually, I said, I think I said, yes, ma'am. And, I, and then I left. Right. Uh, he didn't like that. And so he, uh, you he said, yes, ma'am. You, you I, said, I, yes, ma'am. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Okay. I did. Right. And so, um, I said, yes, ma'am. And it was a man. Yes. And I, um, and I left, and then he called the police and said that I had threatened his life, okay? And then so um, I was across the street at uh, United Dairy Farmers, and then 
uh, two cop cars pull up. They pull out of the car. They come in the store. They look at me, and I should, I should say that I was with, it was several friends, all of which were white. Uh, they pointed at me, said, you know what you did, you know, grab me and put me in the back of the car. And, um, and then I'm in the back of the car, and, and the officers are questioning me there. My, my friends run back to get my mother. And um, my mother is obviously worried. So she comes up and um, she said, you're going to let my sons out of the car. Why are you not? Why didn't you take his white friends if you thought there was an issue? And um, he said, well, you're not taking my son. Either we're all going to jail or something. So they ended up letting me go. Um, but that's the experience I had in sixth grade. And so I, and I've been pulled over a whole bunch of times just because I, I was a black man and had to be questioned, stopped, harassed. It's happened so many times that I have I, I, there's so many. I, I mean, I couldn't I could be here on the podcast just talking about that. But what I want people to understand is as we talk about self-awareness and going back to that, that 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 part of that scripture, it talks about demolishing arguments and pretensions. Those are arguments you have about yourself, pretensions, which are things you believe to be compelling Um when people do or evil is allowed to happen, it's because people first convince themselves that they are good. Evil thrives when people convince themselves they are doing good. And so they either act with indifference or or they just let things occur. And so um, one of the examples I go to is a book by ta Coates. And there's this small town in Pennsylvania and they write a letter to the government uh, right during the times of Jim Crow. And, and right when uh, busing started and people started uh, intervening and having opportunities to live where they wanted to live, and they framed their argument like this, we are good Christian people who always follow the rules and do what's right, uh, and do what's right. We just don't want black people in our area. They connected the two together and didn't see a problem at all in that. And I, and I, and I know we still have that problem because, one, we don't, we don't, we don't challenge ourselves uh, to understand. When I said everyone is racist, what I meant by that is, it is a construct, it is a system uh, that has infected and affected how everybody thinks, including black people, because black people actually feel just as, uh, sometimes even harsher Wait, on other black there's people. black racial, there's black people who have racist issues? Absolutely. No! I mean, like, <laughs> and, when, and what I'm talking about is they have other <laughs> racist issues with black people. Like, it's, mm. it's it, it, because the system is so set well, up. What do you mean by that? Racist issues well, with black people. What I mean is that, you know, studies have shown black people are harder on other black people because they believe the stereotypes and the constructs that have been put in people's head. It is, it is such a, it's just like, I look at it this Fascinating. Way. It's like sin, okay? People that tell me that they're not racist is, tell, is like the same folks who are saying, like, I'm a good person. I can do it by myself. I don't commit sin. We are all prone to it. And you have to work night and day to challenge yourself. So that's the spiritual point I've, I've, I've mentioned. There's books on this too. Thinking Fast and Slow is a great book resource on this. Your mind will always go and default to a shortcut. And we've learned, we inherently learn by the images we see, you see on the media, by the circles we keep. If, uh, we learn to inherit and accept racism as a part of our DNA. And it's going to take time an effort to go back to that verse, to demolish those arguments and pretensions, and then capture every thought. When you have those thoughts, because we all have them, do the things you just said earlier. Like, is this something that I would do if this was my white friend? Would I have that same view? Am I being racist? It takes that, and that's very uncomfortable, which is why people don't like to do it, because people like to think of themselves as good, and that, and that leads them to a place where they can't become self-aware. So it's opening yourself up to be vulnerable enough to say, yes, I am racist. 
because it's a natural thing. We're not talking about violent racism like we saw with George Floyd. Like that's a that's a clear example of something that's horrible and is violent. But to prevent those things, it takes steps um, and, and make sure that we are challenging the microaggressions and that we're challenging ourselves. So it doesn't get to a point where somebody can feel him. He was on tape. Just think about this for a minute. And then I, I know I've been ranting for a minute. Um, but he was on tape with his knee for nearly nine minutes while people were pleading for his life. Right. While he was pleading for his life. Right. With his hands dog, in his pockets. His hands, hands in his pocket, pockets. Like, no big deal. Just chewing gum here. Right. And if a dog was treated that way, I believe there would have been more universal outrage right away than if a black man was treated that way. And the fact that he felt comfortable enough and empowered enough in our society to do that tells me we have a very severe problem. Right. Yes, we do. You know, it's, it's worth just saying right now, and I like talking about authority figures because uh, I think the statistics are pretty clear. I mean, uh, people of darker skin, tone, skin tones get a, have a di- more difficult time in the courtroom. Absolutely. People of darker skin tones have a more difficult time being elected, at least white people electing or voting for somebody with a darker skin tone. And obviously, we're just talking about the some of the violence that comes at, at police officers. I, I just got to go on the record for myself and say, man, I, I'm thankful for police officers. I can, I'm just going to cut off the emails at the, at the legs here. <laughs> I'm going to be getting them. I'm thankful for e- uh, police officers, first responders. The vast, vast, vast majority of all that I've known are amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, but that doesn't mean there's a few bad eggs, whatever percentage it is, you probably think it's a higher percentage than I think it is, but, but nonetheless, we can't, we, can't just, we, we can't just not mention that there's bad stuff happening in police departments any more than I can mention there's bad stuff happening in pulpits. There are preachers out there that are just doing really harmful stuff. And I can't, I can't get offended every time someone gets upset at preachers. I gotta be well enough to go, yeah, yep. yeah, there's a lot of us out there that are very, you know, unsurly, whatever the right thing candidate is. So I would just encourage those of your first responders, we're, not, we're probably not talking about like you. I'm sure I love you. Just, just please, just try to not take this so personally and just see that we've got a macro system and I'm for you. That's what I would say to those first responders. And so Rob, am I. Think so. And, and, and so am I. And here's the, but here, here, here's the challenge in that. As Chris Rock has a has a really Chris Rock has a really funny skit on this, but it's true. Sometimes comedy is a good way to really talk about the truth. He said there are some professions that can't have bad apples. We can't. We people just don't accept uh, pilots being bad apples. Like, oh, we're fine having a pilot come out getting drunk and then you know he crashes and kills everybody. No, it's not okay. Same thing with officers. And there's a lot of complexity to this that I can get to. I think officers should be paid more. They should they they should be. Uh, uh, they should have more training, uh, but there also has to be a higher level of accountability. Um, and the fact is that 99% of, 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 of executions by officers or killings that are not, that I think often aren't justified, they're able to get away. The problem isn't that there's a bunch of great officers and great first responders. That's without question. The issue is the system allows the bad actors to stay there and it and it reinforces and it continues to defend bad actors uh, out of some overall sense of loyalty to officers. So if you take a stance to say you're against bad officers, suddenly you are against officers, which is also it goes back to my earlier point, having one being self-aware. And it goes to my next point two, challenging people who are within your circle. All right. So because. 
it, this really helped me understand it because I, I never really understood, Brian, why white people didn't understand uh, the privilege they have, the power they had. But I, I was able to understand it. You know how I understood it? Through the Me Too movement. That's how I understood it. And um, I was talking to uh, I was talking to a female colleague about mine. Uh, and I said, look, it seems like how things are being described. You guys are saying all men are bad and all men are evil out there. And he said, no, but all men have privilege. Isn't that what they say about racism? And I got it for men for for sex, sexism to stop sexual violence. Men have to hold other men accountable for racism to stop. We need more white people of good conscience to hold other white people accountable and that will make you uncomfortable in your circles, but I think that's how we tackle this. Yeah, I maybe maybe you could find something you and I disagree with. So let, let, let's try something right now to make this okay. a more interesting podcast. Okay, uh, all right, uh, good. Yeah, yeah. Don't white, disagree with me. Okay, well, white, white privilege. Um, here's what I don't like about that term. I don't like about that term the implication that if you're white, you haven't worked hard. If you're white, you, um, yeah, you can just phone it in. I, I think personally, white advantage makes more sense to me because I definitely have a leg up as a white person to for various. But but white privilege, I don't know that that phrase just always bothers me. Should it bother me as much as it is right now? Because I do believe in white. I do believe that it's easier for me than black. I, we talk about. Uh, comedians, <laughs> Chris Rock, that's a very insightful one about we need 100% with pilots. The other one was uh, on, on the white side was Louis C.K. And he talks about, he talks about, he says, being white is clearly superior. He says, clearly, I, I, could, I could come to the world at any point in world history. And as soon as I show up my time machine, they say, oh, welcome, sir. Here's your table, the very front row. He says, you can't even hurt me. What are you going to do? You're going to call me whitey? He goes, oh, that really hurt my feelings. Called me cracker. I mean, he has this interesting bit on it. Um, white privilege, though. I mean, am I, am I, are some of us too sensitive about that? Or what do you mean by white privilege when you talk about it? Uh, two things. Uh, yes, I do think uh, white people are very sensitive about it. And I understand why they are. Uh, because the natural default, the shortcut in the mind is to go towards what you just said. It's it's saying like, oh, white people don't struggle. White people haven't had uh, haven't had discrimination. White people haven't had to work for what they have. And uh, that is, I think, the wrong way to look at it, um, because it's about privileges being able to have a totally different experience than I have. As I went to earlier um, no matter what level, like I've had, I've had more advantages than some of my white counterparts that I grew up with. I was blessed enough uh, to have parents that did fairly well. Uh, so I've been able to have more opportunities uh, than some of my white counterparts did. From a systems point of view, though, that's not the, that's not, that's not always the same, but I want to, from an individual, I want to break it down to a story point of view. Um, when you look at how you and I have to talk to our, our kids, you don't have to have the conversation with uh, your son about how to deal with police in order to live. That's right. Yeah. Right. So it's a yeah. so the privilege in that is something that you have power in that I don't have. Got it. It, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't. It, it, what, what it does is it puts you in a position to look out for those who don't have that power. I don't have as much power to check a white police officer. If I do that and when I'm pulled over, I might die. But if my white friend does it, it's a lot harder to 
It's a lot harder to, to challenge the white friend. Uh, and, and that's the only way we're going to really go against this construct. All of it, if I can say so, um, all of it is nonsense. Just to say, like, race is nonsense at its core. And I wish it wasn't. Race is a construct that man made up to divide people against one another. It is a social construct, but, but we have to recognize the construct as is there in, in order to be able to tackle the, con, uh, the construct. It's like, if we want to tell, if we're, if we're, if we're talking to an alcoholic as, a believe, as believers in Christ, we can't tell them to not acknowledge it. And some people think uh, to deal with racism, and I've heard this argument, I think um, Supreme Court Justice uh, Roberts said this, and I'm only saying this because I think it's, it, it reflects how people feel, and it sounds, it sounds right when you hear it, but it's actually wrong. He said, in order for us to, talk, uh, to solve racism, we have to stop talking about race. That couldn't be more wrong. That's like saying in order to solve alcoholism, we have to pretend like we're not an alcoholic. Like it right. exists. It is right. a real problem. It is uncomfortable, but not acknowledging it makes it worse. We have a we have a program that we started at Crossroads, really, really led and pioneered by Chuck Mingo called Undivided. That's about us becoming one. We actually talk about racial reconciliation. Some would say we can't be reconciled because we've never been one. We need racial unification before we need racial reconciliation. Reconciliation <laughs> assumes we were one time one. We, we never we never have been. Um, and and in that course, which is about getting people of different skin tones in rooms, hearing about their experiences, one of the things that's gosh, it's a, I want you to help me understand is. Many African Americans who I talk to, who are, who go through that, they don't want to talk about the racial difficulty of Hispanics. They don't want to talk about the racial difficulty of Chinese. I mean, right now, man, I've got a, I got a friend who's like Chinese, Chinese, both parents, and like yeah. it sucks to be her, man, because every, people were thinking, okay, COVID nineteen, she invented it, she started. Chinese restaurants are getting crushed, but I, I find that a good percentage of African Americans do not want to engage at all on the other race conversations and think their story is the only story. Why is that? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, thank you for the question, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, the essential reason is that. Um, Traditionally, and this is not true in, in, in your case and how you talk about it, uh, but uh, people have used other races uh, to water down the story of what actually happened and, and, and to not really address the core uh, historic and just the magnitude of things that really happened. And it's also been used to uh, water down solutions to it. Let me give you some examples. So when, when uh, people deal with uh, minority inclusion, you know, oftentimes everyone's included in that. And, and then the conversation gets excluded for African-Americans. Certainly, if you look at the numbers, uh, it'll, it'll, it, people talk about minority inclusion. When you look at what it is with African-Americans, it tends to be very low. But for others, it's much higher. Um, also, universities have, have used that when they talk about addressing. Well, what, do I say? What, what do you mean by that? Minority inclusion is low for African-Americans. Okay, so, like, so, so uh, this might make it uh, easier to understand. Let, 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 let's take universities. Universities in their inclusion numbers will include Asians, will include uh, lots of other people. And at the end of the day, it's not the same because they will they will include people that come from China 
that might be very well off in their numbers and say, look, we're inclusive, but they've done nothing to really improve things for African-Americans. So Got the problem okay. is not that uh, we don't share a similar struggle. The problem is it tends to water down and exclude what is happening to African-Americans. And so that's been part of the that's been part of the struggle. So and I think the reason for that, and I was going to get to this later, but it's a it's a great it fits into this. Um, how I think we solve some of some of our racial construct issues is to be more honest about the uncomfortable truth about uh, racism in this uh, in this country where it is right now and how we got here. Because there we we talk about history and we deal with race not in a way that really reconciles uh, uh, Brian in in this country. We try to uh, just move forward without context. Example: South Africa had a race. Had a, had a had a had a had a had a truth and commission, and they made sure that they outlined all the horrible things the government did. Uh, Germany, when it dealt with the Holocaust, everywhere you go in Germany, you will see where uh, a Jewish person was murdered. What happened? In America, we pretend like it didn't happen. We run from it, and people that come into this country, when they take the test to become citizens, they offer them a multiple choice uh, uh, version of why the Civil War happened. The Civil War happened because of slavery. And so we have not. Come. Oh, it was states' rights. It was states' right, rights. Right, right. Yeah, so we right. don't. We don't have. When people get a real appreciation, and I didn't have this appreciation until I went to college and started reading books of how horrible and how much violence there was. This was just the hundred-year anniversary, just a few days ago, actually, of the Tulsa massacre, when a whole city was wiped out by the government almost and bombed, and those type. And so that type of racial violence in history happens a lot and it's not appreciated. So I think when people combine the stories, I think it would I think it would be uh it would be easier in the future if we deal with that because I think actually dealing with that I- issue will make us understand how we got to the rest of the issues. But I do agree, I'm not a person that's about the oppression Olympics. When people tell me they're uh what they're going through, I figure out ways to build to build bridges, but I also understand again all that rage that African Americans have kept in and we've had to um, it's, it's, it's very, very, very hard and we haven't dealt with it. And I think once we deal with it, uh, and actually tell the truth, go through the truth and embrace the truth in all of our schools, instead of running from it, it will go a very long way. That's That's excellent. So I, I think that, I think what is tiring about this conversation for me, Rob, is that it, it hasn't gone away. It's not going away because obviously we have systemic problems, systemic problems. But it's also like um, I, I, I long for more, more, th- more tangible, concrete things to do. You know, like if, if you're if you're pro-life, which I am, I was I was adopted. Um, so that's for people who are adopted. It's pretty it's like, oh, man, I'm glad my mom chose to adopt me instead of abort me. It's it's very it's very personal. But if I'm really passionate about that, there's a playbook that people have been doing, right? You you elect certain people, you march in front of clinics, which I've never marched in front of a clinic or anything like that. But there, there's a play, there's a playbook you could do. What's the, what's the, what's the playbook for eliminating this and getting to a new place? Another great question. And um and since you went there, I, I want to tie in. I, I think people have to recognize the problem at the beginning, and I, I keep going back to that. Uh, and then divorce it from your identity. This is what I mean. I have a lot of I have a lot of conservative friends who are advocates for racial justice. 
And what we've done in this country, and we'll talk a little political, is that things have been so divided that it's like, okay, if I'm pro-life, it means I have to support all of this nonsense that is going on politically. Um, and what I, what, what I want to give people to is that, look, the two aren't tied together. You can be pro-life for small government and all those things and still stand up. A couple things we can do. We can work to end mass incarceration. Mass incarceration is costing us a lot of money, costs us a lot of opportunities, and it creates all types of racial divides. We can make sure we speak out when we see excessive police force and fight for accountability and, and things to, to actually make sure those, those things happen. They should right, be you just neutral. use a buzzword. Use just buzz, buzzword that yes. a lot of us, a lot of us white don't understand. Okay, mass, inc- mass incarceration, eliminate mass incarceration. So you want to stop sending people to jail who commit crimes? What, what are you saying with that? Yeah, because uh, that's what people hear. You're right. Yeah. They, they hear mass incarceration and say you want to make you want to let criminals go. No, I want to have a system that is equitable that works. In the United States of America, uh, we put more people in prison than anywhere else in the world by far. We're talking about China, we're talking about Russia, people that have way more citizens, some that are totalitarian governments, yet we have more people under the control of the criminal justice system. And I believe racism, as you said, has morphed. So it went from Jim Crow, and now we have mass incarceration. Give you an example. Uh, when we approached the opioid crisis, uh, people viewed it the right way. They viewed it as a, a, a as, as a healthcare issue, as a compassion issue, and that's how we should solve it. We can't always look to uh, just lock people up. That's not going to solve the issue of drugs. Crack cocaine, when that era happened, when the people were very different, the approach was extremely different. It was figuring out how we can lock as many people uh, away as possible, and we and we had we created laws that allowed all types of overstep. If people had any idea of what an Afri- what African-Americans go through, in this current moment as we speak, I, I've heard a lot of white Americans for the first time say, we're not, we're not a police state. Why are they doing this? Why are they? I, I saw a young white woman from her porch get shot by uh, one of those rubber bullets because she had a camera out on her own porch. And this story's happened over and over again. It's happening to lots of white people now. People are saying, this is not a police state. They can't do this. I got a newsflash. Anywhere in America you live in a black community, there is no Fourth Amendment rights. It, they do not exist for, black, for a black man. A police officer could come and pull you over and search you because they just believe so. That shouldn't be so in America, in a place that we say uh, we value these freedoms. Uh, when we look at the Second Amendment, it's not applied the same way. Philando Castile, also from Minnesota, uh, was shot by an officer for telling the officer he, 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 has, he, has, he has a weapon and he, he's going to show him his, his, uh, his, his paperwork. He was killed for that on, on, on tape. And so we can be an advocate. You can be an advocate. If you believe in the Second Amendment and you saw that happen, you should have been out in the streets too. If you're, if, if you're, if you're upset with the police state, we've had a police state and we've accepted this because it's happened to people of color. The reason most people are in jail because of drug crimes, not because more African-Americans don't, they, they don't commit more crimes and drugs. They're not more drug dealers. African Americans tend to do drugs at the same rate as the population, about 13 to 14 percent. They're about, uh, I think, anywhere from 35 to 38 percent of those in jail. And then Latinos make up a good amount, too. That's because people are being targeted and it's costing opportunity, it's costing lives and it costs a whole lot of money. Well, it's not just they're being targeted. It's the, the studies have been done. If you have a if you have a judge and a, you know, a black person comes before 
having a bag of weed and a white person comes before him having a bag of weed, the black person gets sentenced more harshly. Yeah. You know, the, there's no it's question. Just, it's a, just the way it yeah. is. Thirteen times more likely, uh, I think, uh, to to be, I think, to get to get a harsher sentence if you if you're a person of color is, is that's the last time I think I saw the stats and it's it's real and why that matters is you know first you're putting people away that shouldn't be put away. We're making better. I think that makes people likely to 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 be more likely to be criminals. Um, we have to have a system that works. And other countries don't do this. So th- there is a way to approach policing and criminal justice reform that is more not only more humane, uh, that is more effective in, in actually preventing crime. So I think when people look at themselves as pro-life, they shouldn't want to see an innocent person go to jail. Uh, and then when and then when you look at yourself as pro-humanity as a Christian, even if people have done crimes and once they've served their time, what's the goal here? We got to make sure that they can be reintegrated. And oftentimes they don't get a chance to be reintegrated. And then that makes better criminals. So or that makes them feel hopelessness. So mass incarceration is a major problem that is unique to the United States of America. And we can solve that. We just we need more advocates. And this shouldn't be a political issue. Uh, There are Republicans that believe this and see this. And we need everyone else to see it, too. And what what I want to see is more my brothers and sisters who are Christians not just say they're not racist, but to be more anti-racist, to, to make sure they're standing up for mass incarceration, to make sure we're standing up to hold, to have police accountability for the system. We're not talking about bad officers. We're talking about having a system that uh, promotes good officers and gets rid of the bad ones quickly. These things can be done. Uh, and, and for it to happen, it's going to it's going to require our Christian brothers and sisters to be more like Christ. Christ was Christ, Christ, Christ turned over tables. He was a he was a fighter. He was a disruptor. Yeah, that's good. That's your podcast is called the Disruption. Disruption now. <laughs> well, I feel guilty, uh, Rob, because we're this is a joint podcast, but I. I keep at, I keep taking control and no, asking you questions. No, no. You want you want to ask me questions or this say is, anything to me? This is a, a this is this has been good. I, I have a I'm curious to see. Do you think that there is a disconnect in the white evangelical community, um, and if so, what? Uh, when it comes to well, let me be clear. Right. When it comes when it comes okay. Do you think there's right. a disconnect to um, the role of the church? Let me back that up. I have a better yeah, question. No, I, I have a better question. All right, no, so look. It's a good question. I just yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah, find I, evangelical, that's all. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say this. Often it's been the role of black churches to address systemic racism, to talk about issues. What do you think uh, more white pastors and evangelicals should do uh, to stand up to really have, uh, to really see long-term change in this area? Uh, this is good. I, I th- I think, Rob, we've got a number of things that are changing right now. First of all, when someone asks me, hey, are you an evangelical? I go, well, I don't know, man. You have to define evangelical. You, evangelical used to be, when I say used to be, I mean back in high school when I came, into, came to faith, used to be you believed in, the, you believed in the, um, the Jesus was supposed to be in somebody's life. That was about what, that's about what. Right. And then like every political thing started being put on and you gotta, and you gotta believe the earth is 6,000 years old and you've gotta believe it and all that kind of stuff. So if someone say, are you, even John, I have to say, well, define that first. But so I think that, um, I think that for those who are uh, white conservatives in the church, which, which for the most part are the only people who go to church anymore, you know, it's 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 really interesting that these uh, that are white. I'm talking about. I mean, the 
the more quote unquote liberal denominations that have been so liberal on, you know, defining sex different ways and defining the, they basically are irrelevant. Like no one goes to those churches, right? I mean, they're, they're, they've been in massive, massive decline, massive decline. So when you talk about white people who are in churches, you're, you're generally talking about people who are, are somewhat conservative, at least in their understanding of classic Bible doctrines. Yeah. I think I'm seeing more change right now, Rob, than I have with anything before. I'm seeing, man, I just, that, I was just saying, this is, this is really awful. This is just really awful to say, but it, it, it might be the legacy that George Floyd did more to bless the cause of racial inequity than anybody did. It, he, he may end up being the Jesus of the race movement. Because, well, I think, I, think, I think you're onto something. Go ahead, finish. Yeah, because he, uh, for, for the average conservative white person who has some racist tendencies and, and doesn't want to see that the white systems that support us could be wrong, we, we, just, we, we, got, we have a dog in the fight, right? To, right? to overlook things, right? Well, the average person looked at that like, I can't, I, ju- I just can't explain that one way. I, I can't do it. So I, I think that there's been also a kind of a chipping away at this. If you look back at Promise Keepers, which is a men's movement back in the 80s, had a big, huge platform of, of racial, um, racial reconciliation. And stuff. there's been a bunch of it. So I think there's been a chipping away that's been happening for decades, but not much movement. I think on this one, I'm, I'm hearing people be upset and talking about it who we've never talked about before. I'm shocked, I have quite to. frankly. I'm shocked, like with the blackout that happened the other day. Um, I, I didn't find out about it till seven in the morning and someone's staff said, hey, you want to do this? Absolutely, so I typed something up, put it out there. I was shocked by some of the people who I saw, church leaders of white mega pastors, white, white mega churches, who had a blackout their thing. I was like, there is no freaking way that guy would have done that five years. It's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I guess that's, that's about, this is an opportunity, I think, to challenge people. Uh, as we said earlier, I think you, know, you can't grow and be comfortable. And why I believe why I believe this happened in this moment, because you and I don't believe in coincidences. We believe in God. I think this happened at a moment where everybody had to be home. Everybody had to see it uh, to make us pay attention to the inequities, to make sure that people really understood that this is this is serious. We have to remember George Floyd was a series of. Uh, uh, of tragedies like this in the last few weeks. Yes. Right? This is not like yes. that we caught on tape. Ahmaud Aubrey just jogging down the street. He was thought to be a suspect. It wasn't even police officers. Random people that pulled <laughs> pulled him over Gosh. That, and killed him for jogging. And the, here, here is the outrageous part. I, I'm no just tra- laughing. I'm laughing at myself because like, I can hear the white people just to, to discredit, discredit every situation. And you can't right. discredit these things. You can't. That's, and that's why I think God is saying, listen, look. And, 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 and what you saw happen in that Ahmaud Aubrey case that I want to point to that we have to change is that no one was going to be charged. No one was. It was two months that existed for two months. People there were the tape was out there and the person who taped it thought he was thought that would clear him. That tells you how infected we are right now with racism, the cloud that that is put over people. And we have a lot of work to do. My hope is that people will see the challenge what do you see? Uh, we'll see this moment and rise to the challenge. What are the pushbacks you get, you know, behind closed doors when, you know, you're talking to white conservatives or 
It doesn't even, I want to say this, because there are just as many racist liberals as there are conservatives. They just talk differently about it. That's my perspective. <laughs> I, I, right. I do believe that. Right. Here's why. Because you yes. look at all the city. I can say this right now, and I think this is something. I can say this as a person who's a Democrat. Uh, it doesn't matter. When you look at these, when you look at these cities, uh, they are failing, too. So, you know, there are people on the left, liberals that talk about it, but the result is the same. So at the end of the day... Your intentions, you, I've heard you say this before at uh, Crossroads, God doesn't measure you by intentions. He measures you by what you do. We get measured by our fruit. And the fruit on both sides to me are failing on this. So my hope is that this becomes that, that and I know this is Pollyannish and it's probably not going to happen immediately, but at least in this moment, racial justice should not be the political issue. That shouldn't be in your political context. That shouldn't be how you tie yourself to something and you have to be willing to challenge people. So we need to challenge Republicans. If you're a Republican and you're a conservative and you hear this nonsense, this is not what conservatism is. Like, And we have to be able to challenge that. And when liberals don't do it, you challenge them too. But people have to be willing to challenge themselves in their, in their circles. So my question, <clears throat> what pushback do you get, particularly when you're dealing with white folks? And how do you approach the conversation when you talk about these things? Uh, well, what I get... The two ones I get the most frequently is whenever I talk about it, I'll be accused of guilty white man syndrome. I get that one very regularly. And then the next thing, the other thing I get was, you know, criticizing first responders. So I've got to go back and say, no, I don't feel guilty for what I have. <laughs> That's right. not why I feel these ways. And and what we said earlier about I, I love our police officers but there's a percentage of them that's bringing pain. So I, got, I, got, I have those conversations again and again. And people will, people will bring those objections up and I say, I, how do you even bring that up? I, I, don't, I can't understand what the, what the hell I just said that would make you think that I believe that. They're, it's like they're, they're, they're just looking for some reason to be offended. The, 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 other, the other thing that is just such a bummer, Rob, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Is you know when the when the looting starts, and when you know when people are you know breaking windows and so it's it's like the it's like the discredit card immediately. It's like I have my mind open to a racial conversation. I saw it and and then when that happens, it's like okay, wash my hand, forget it. This is this is ridiculous, and they just they just opt out, and that's that's what bothers me about the violence and destruction that's happening in the wake in our in our cities yes. isn't just that those are business owners and people who are hurting but it distracts it's actually, the conversation it does it totally does it, it it gives people who are in power those who are white um it gives them or us a get out of jail free card for why should we shouldn't be talking right. about this we should be talking about how they're destroying personal property yep and 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 that's a that's a good point uh you know dr king brought it up often um, but the part that folks don't focus on with Dr. King is, you know, when you talked about people coming together and I want to have a conversation about reconciliation and unity, uh, you, you know, Dr. King, um, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he says, you know, peace is not the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. And I would say unity is not about the absence of tension. It's, a, it's the presence of justice and it's the truth. And so folks want to be in a situation where they feel comfortable, like, Looting is wrong. No one's defending that. But I want people just to sit back and think about how folks viewed the same people, how they viewed 
uh, protesters who who aligned with uh, the person in the White House, and they were uh, are, uh, you know protesting about COVID nineteen with AR fifteens, a lot of times yelling in people's face, um, and how somehow we managed to you know no officer managed to go overboard, no no one no one no one got shot. Wait, you're saying if a black person had an AR fifteen out in public? that he would be given a hard time, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit, right? I mean, if the protesters, for the, uh, for the most part, for the most part, the protesters are peaceful, but if protesters in mass were coming up in AR-15s, imagine what the narrative would be. The narrative then, uh, when, when those protests happened, where these were the most American people, the, the narrative now is we need to shoot the looters. And another point I want to make is that, that the, how people even view that, Brian, if your view is... Uh, it's horrible that black men are being executed, but why are you guys destroying property? Versus, it's horrible that people are destroying property, but we got to stop the killing of black men. People are prioritizing the wrong thing. Like, it's looting is bad, but that's that's not the problem. The problem goes back to uh, the the lack of right. justice, and so getting people to understand that. So that's my question. So how do you respond when they say that stuff, and they say those things? What is your response? Uh, which things? Guilty white man. So when they, when when people make the shortcut in their brain that oh okay, as soon as they get a get out of free jail card, whatever that is, it's the the looters now, oh, yeah. and, and before it's the this person is what I call not the perfect victim. They smoked weed ten years ago, so he must have been a criminal. Or like when Trayvon Martin was walking down the street with Skittles, somehow people justified it because he had gold teeth, so he must he must have been doing something wrong. How do you tackle that when people make that? was clearly a shortcut in their brain to reinforce the beliefs they already have. Yeah, what I, what, what I do is I say, okay, just, just imagine for a moment that that person was white. Then how would you interpret Let's just imagine for a moment you had a skinny-ass armed black cop that had his knee on the neck of a muscular white man for 10 minutes pleading and he choked out. Okay, just... What, how would you feel then? Just imagine, just imagine if you were unjustly treated and you were gathering down in the middle of a city, how would you interpret? I, I, I just keep trying to put that on the other place. Because again, for those people who look like me, we can't imagine um, a black authority figure giving us a hard time. It's never, yeah. it's never happened. It really happens. It, it happened once in Minnesota, by the way, because the an, a, an officer of color shot a young uh, white woman. And guess what the defense was? He went to jail. It's one of the few times the officer went to jail. You can look up this case. And the defense, uh, not the, not not the defense, the prosecution's case against the officer was, how can this young woman in in a pink shirt be seen as a threat? That will never be the case. They, you could never use that as an argument for black men because we're inherently seen as a threat. Mm, yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, to your point, I have another question to your point, uh, because yeah, I want to bring, bring, some, bring, bring some conflict in this at least a little bit. I gotta, we're agreeing too much. All right. So yeah, look, we it's, are uh, agreeing too yeah, much. I'm Bro, trying to figure I, out. I don't like you. I don't like you at all. There, <laughs> you look ugly and you shave, your, you shave your head because you have receding hairline. Your yeah. forehead's so big it's a five head. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> I think one of the challenges I, 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 I struggle with and that makes me kind of upset, but you may agree with, with white people when they say, um, two points. One, white, uh, 
uh, black people are racist all the time, reverse racism, and this kind of it exists on both sides. And I see both sides doing this. Um, what's your thoughts on that generally? Then we'll I'll have some follow up questions. Uh, well, I I know that there's I I know that race exists on all sides. Um, I I haven't if I have experienced it, then I I can't recall. I, I don't. Yeah, I think the only time I ever feel race on the opposite side is when a black person doesn't believe my views on race are are appropriate. Like there all there is a political correctness thing that's coming in here right now. Absolutely. And, and part of it's talk good. about that. Talk about that. Talk about the political correctness. Okay, I'll, I'll give you yeah. one. So I'm on a. Um, we've got. Uh, oh, I don't know what it is. We have, I have a text thread that has. 15 senior staff members across. I have a bunch of them. One text that has 15 senior um, staff people crossroads. Of that 15 in that group, I want to say there's four people who are in that conversation that are black. Um, there's an Asian in that in that group. There's you know so there's whatever. so we, we spend a lot of time just saying how are you feeling. So open up meetings. How are you feeling? Where do you feel you know and and. And those who are black are justifiably saying, man, I, this, I'm, I'm just tired. This is happening again and again. I'm tired. I, I can't believe uh, this is dredging up old stuff again and again and again. It comes up, right? We're, we're talking about that stuff. So I had a, uh, one of the guys who's white texted the whole group yesterday. He said, hey, I'm just, um, I'm just feeling a little uncomfortable about where this conversation's and where this conversation's going. And it's getting into some political some political stuff that uh, I, I'm not sure that I agree with, which was number one, incredibly courageous of him to say that I because up to that point, all the all the conversation had been empathizing. We need to do something about this, all this stuff, which it should be. And it was 24 hours, and like it was Cricket's response. And so I called everybody out and said, "What? Why is no one responding? He, why is a white guy not allowed to to share how he's feeling? Why is a white guy not allowed to share his?" His, are, are only people who are not white the ones able to, to process their feelings and emotions? So that, I, I don't think that's good. I think white people's emotions, they may, they're misinformed very, very frequently. But I think we need to be hearing from white people as well. Well, I, it goes back to my earlier point. We can't, I don't think we can solve the problem unless other white people are willing to step up. And if we have somebody in good faith that is telling us why they believe that, that needs to be explored. So tell us, and, and why do you right. believe that? Why is this? Why is this a political conversation? It's a for because we're not asking you uh, to vote for somebody who's going to raise your taxes, right? It's not what yeah, we're talking about. Right. <laughs> that's not the that's right. not the equation here. In fact, we need people that are conservative to say this is what as, as a conservative we believe in. We believe because I can make arguments about how this is a conservative based argument for equality. We don't need a, a big police state. We don't need mass incarceration. That's limited government to me. So. Right. If I'm pro-life, right. I believe That's in pro-life right. and making sure that people aren't innocently executed. So anyway, right. I, what I'm trying to say is that having the conversation, if he's let's, exploring that, because I think right. it's important uh, to people to express when they feel a certain way. And then because there's always validity in people's perception. It doesn't mean that they're right. It means that they have this feeling. There's a reason why they have it. And exploring that deeply and I think if we if we can make them understand that how does this align with your beliefs as a Christian 
Or is this more of a belief of something that you've been programmed to believe as part of your identity, but it's not a part of Christ? I have no idea what his point was. I want to, I'm going to find out, but I, I, I have do a guess, know though. that I but want to hear guess from is, him. It's tied. It's tied. My guess is that's not surprising to me. I, a lot of people see uh, race because the powers that be have made uh, race a political issue. And instead of what it is, this is, should be a humanity and a moral issue. And we can see these things that way. It'll be easier because I, it's tied up into who we are. And so we... It goes back to the earlier conversation of not addressing the true nature of what happened with racism in this country, what is happening. If people realize that uh, and they realize that it's not aligned with who they are, but people are so and this is this is white people, black people. People want to believe that they are good people. They want to protect the identity of what they built up in their own brain. So they're always going to go back to that. So the both sides thing, though, I want to get to that as we get ready to go towards the end here. Yeah. The both sides thing is what I, what, I, what I wanted to get at is to see if you would uh, um, kind of address is I, I don't think I think I think you can anybody can hate. I view racism as a different thing. I view racism as a construct that 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 where its application in laws apply different to, to people of color simply because of the color of their skin. Uh, so I don't think I, I don't think reverse racism exists. In terms of that, I think reverse prejudice uh, prejudice can exist. I think people can hate others based upon uh, who they are and the color of their skin. But I see racism as a system, and I think that's hard for a lot of white people to see. Yeah. Do you have disagreements in that? Is there some uh, or uh, other point you like to bring that you hear from people uh, I would, that you like I would have that? I would have scratched my head at that, Rob, fifteen years ago. When they talked about systems of injustice, I would have scratched my head and I, you know, I don't understand So I got it. a question for you. Here's, here's yeah, the I, I understand it now, yes. Yeah, no, no, but here's the question for you. Here, here's what I think would help folks. Let's say um, let's talk, you had a note to your younger self about this right now, okay? That would have scratched your head 15, 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was. Take yourself to that moment and yeah. what would you tell your younger self now based on what you know? I would tell my younger self just like you shouldn't come to convictions on geology until you talk with geologists. Don't come to conclusions on race until you talk to and have genuine friendships with a bunch of people who don't look like you. Because until you know people who don't look like you, you don't know the racial situation in our country. It doesn't matter what philosophies you have. It doesn't matter how many well-educated people you read. Brian Tome, you've got to get some friends with different skin tones, genuine friends, and you've, you've got to understand their lens of perspective before you have any clue what's going on. I, I completely agree. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's how you move forward. That's how you grow as a Christian. That's how you grow spiritually. And I really appreciate this conversation and uh, really, uh, Brian, hope we can do this more. You've been a great, uh, you've been a great guest. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great. Rob, this has been, this is, it has been good. I, I, I appreciate your candor and your, your generosity of wisdom. I'm wondering if, at least for here in the aggressive life, if we could end this the way I do other, the way I do other podcasts, that is with a lightning round. Are you ready for a lightning round? 
I am. I am. I have to do my lightning round for you too. Then that's good. I have one too. That's good. I'll go. You go first. It's not white lightning. That'd be too rage. Not white lightning. Just, 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 just lightning. All right. All right. I got a lightning round too. You you first. Me next. Go. All right. It's gonna be a different lightning round because I'm just making this up as we go. You and I got to go ping pong back and forth, back and forth. One sentence things to do to improve. Racial, the racial situation in our country. And we'll see who times out first. You're probably going to win, but that'd be fun. I might not. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So I'm first. Lightning round. Here goes. Um, uh, look, at your, look at your text thread and see if one of the last 20 people you've texted with is a race other than yours. Learn history in a way that challenges you and makes you uncomfortable, particularly from a point of view that's not written by the majority. Next time you send a thumbs up emoji, use the thumb color that's different than yours. Every time you think to yourself that uh, I'm not a racist, understand that uh, that entail makes you more likely to be vulnerable. Challenge every single thought about racism and don't Oh, sorry. That's enough. Go oh, yeah, that's almost that. That's not lightning, Rob. You're, go, you're go. getting a sermonizing. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I started okay. serving. I can't help it. Yeah. Ask somebody who looks different from you what movie you should watch. Parenthetical statement, not part of lightning round. You did this with me. Yep. Two years was it two years ago out of Compton. I oh had, yeah. I had zero zero interest in out of Compton. Zero, and I enjoyed that movie. Got a lot of it. So thanks. That, that that's my next one. How about you? Challenge your circle when you hear and you and you hear things and see things that you know are not right. Challenge it, even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, oh, crap, you're probably going to win. Uh, <laughs> I don't like you. Win. Uh, um, 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 all right. Go go to somebody with a different skin color and just ask them to have a beer with you someday. Uh, don't think because you have black friends or you're married to a, a black person that makes you not racist. Continually make sure you are, you are improving yourself. It's not enough to have one friend or be married to somebody. All right, you win. You win. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I can do this for a while. There's a lot of examples. It's probably indicting that I can only get six or seven in there or something like that. Well, but, it makes uh, sense though. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's experience. It's yeah. Having gone through a lot of this and, Kind of unfair. This is an unfair topic to have a lightning round on. We could just have, <laughs> so <laughs> that's good, brother. Well, anything else you want to talk about on on your end or do yeah, on your I, end? I, yeah, I have one question for you. Uh, a time you failed, and what you learned from that failure that might have helped you in your journey. My lightning round's pretty good. Yeah, it is good. Gosh, your lightning round is like, this is like deep thought round, Rob. <laughs> this is deep thought round. Um, <clears throat> I would, um, I, I would say before, before I came to, I got to make it, I got to make it lightning round fast here. Before I came to Crossroads, every job I wanted was a failure and everyone rejected me. Crossroads is the only place that would have me. And uh, that just helped me be appreciative. Yeah, that's good. Final one. You have a committee of three. Uh, they can be living. They can be dead. That advises you on life, religion, whatever you want. 
Tell me who those three people would be and why. Dude, you're killing me with these questions. These, <laughs> these are my lightning. These, are... these cannot be lightning. Uh, yeah, did anyone ever tell you that uh, it's us white people who are supposed to have the deep questions, not you, not you folks? How's that for racist comment right there? Jeez. Uh, okay. This is a uh, – that's awesome. Okay, three people who my personal personal board of directors. All right. Uh, one, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, why? And I'll, I could tell you why if you want. Okay, um, yeah, I do. You want you want to know why on him? I do. Know, I do want to know why. Uh, okay, uh, Ulysses Grant was a person of movement. I mean, he got he got shit done, man. He just he just went after it. Every every general before GSD that. GSD or get shit done. I like those exactly. Too. Every general before. It's not like that. a pastor that cusses. This is so great. <laughs> well, Go it's ahead. My podcast. <laughs> it's my podcast, or it's our podcast. So yeah. So um, he just he was aggressive, man. McClellan and all the rest of those guys were just very, very passive. He was aggressive. That's why the Union won the war. And then he was put in charge of um, Reconstruction. And, uh, you know, he, he, he obviously had some problems with how he ran his administration. But he, he just moved. And I, I man, I, I shudder to think when, when Lincoln went down, what would happen had he not been a strong force. So I, I, would, say, I would say Grant uh, would be one. Uh, I would say another would be, uh, we got to say Jesus, right? So yeah. I, 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 I figured you were going to say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah, I'll say Jesus. And then my third, I'll say, oh man, this is so hard. I'll say uh, my third is. Um, it could be somebody living too, again, I'm remind you. Uh, I'll say my third is uh, Kathy Beecham. Okay. Who died a year ago? She, I called her my Iron Lady, at Crossroads. She was a uh, female banker of the year. Just an amazing woman who actually was a a real warrior for equal rights and all that stuff. I, I miss her dearly. I, I take her wisdom any day. So those are my those are my three. All right, Ryan Tome, senior pastor with uh, uh, Crossroads, uh, and uh, also uh, the. Uh, podcast uh, executive director for The Aggressive Life. I appreciate you coming on Disruption Now. Rock and Rob, you're welcome. I appreciate your grace, your candor, and patience with, a, with an old white salt like me. I appreciate it, brother. <laughs> Thank you, brother.